Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Hello. Hello. How are you? Very well. Good. We are in a different setting today. For those who it's are not aware, a throw off. <laughs> we typically record in Zara's home office, but today we are video recording in a professional studio. So we really have to be on our game. Yes, we do. Coming up on today's show, the Kardashian cheating controversy became the world's biggest meme. What Karl Lagerfeld's death says about erasure and legacy, and a look at Hollywood's Night of Nights, the Oscars. But first, Zara, please tell me about your week. I love that you have to ask me that, even though we spent the entire week. <laughs> together um so this was my first week freelance yep. this was our first week full-time together we have made it out alive kind of I'm a little bit sick of spending time <laughs> with you I think before we recorded this we got coffee together and we spent it in silence just looking at our phones I think that's the way it's meant to be though um <laughs> it was funny seeing you learn new things about me so we spent a lot of time in the car this week too much and time. I was the one driving a lot of the time and <laughs> if I'm driving I'm in charge of the radio Yes. And you didn't like a lot of the songs. So I'm a massive Rita Ora fan, which came as a massive surprise to you. Yeah, but you also really like that song that I hate. What's it called? Oh. The um, <laughs> the the Psycho song. No, and that's not actually something you want to say publicly. Sweet But Psycho is the song. Would you like to sing a bit? Not at all. But that song is widely <laughs> hated and it absolutely shouldn't be. For anyone wondering, it's Oh, She's Sweet But A Psycho. It's such an annoying song. How was your week? It was okay. I think we all discovered how bad I am with directions this that week. That too. Yeah, I got you lost while you were driving. It was always my responsibility to direct and I failed on all accounts. At least you're self-aware. Yeah, but every single, no, I'm not kidding. Every single time we went somewhere, I took us down the wrong path. Yeah. I don't think there was a single trip. No, there wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah, apart from that, I'm really good. I would really recommend that people go listen to the How I Built This episode with the founder of Burt's Bees. Yes, they absolutely should. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It is a podcast where I don't listen to every episode simply because I find a lot of the brands and the entrepreneurs involved a little bit boring. I definitely gravitate to the females that they interview. I think because I find that innately more interesting in how a female builds a company in a world that sort of makes it a little bit harder. Yeah, and the story behind Burt's Bees is a really unique one. It's not a company that that has a story that many companies have, I guess. Well, I feel like those interviews now are with a lot of tech entrepreneurs, which is great, but they do follow a similar path where these kinds of people are creating a brand for the sake of creating a multi-million dollar company if they can. Yeah, and there was a sordid affair in the Burt's Bees story. That's a little clickbait for it. I know. I think you guys should go listen. So I will put that in the show notes. But today we are starting with what all of you were talking about in our Facebook group this week, which was the Tristan Thompson, Jordan Woods, Chloe Kardashian cheating controversy. Do you want to kick us (laughs) off? Because I feel like you are markedly more invested in this than I am. Though that's not to say that I'm not. I just feel like this has consumed much of your week. You're a snob who refuses to look. Fuck no, I'm not. I have the lowest brow taste in the world. But this is your jam. Yeah, I have watched Keeping Up With The Kardashians a little bit too much. For example, I didn't know who Jordan Woods was. Oh, that's not a lie. That's not a humble brag, though. That's not like something to be. Imp- I wasn't trying. You to. do host a celebrity podcast. You probably I wasn't should know. Actually, trying to be a humble brag because I was pretty, pretty embarrassed when I noticed that she had eight million followers on Instagram and yeah. I actually wasn't on my radar. So you're just failing at your job. Of- Absolutely, yeah. that's the point. Great. Okay, so for those who missed it, this was third trimester Tristan 2.0. So Tristan Thompson is Khloe Kardashian's partner. He originally cheated on her when she was pregnant with their child. Yes, like days before birth. Yeah, so we did do an episode on third trimester Tristan. It would have been, what, nine months ago now? I don't think it would be hard to find. I'm pretty sure we called it third trimester (laughs) Tristan. So So it's no surprise that he has cheated again. I don't think that was what anyone was surprised by when it came to this story. The surprising aspect of this was that he cheated with Chloe's little sister's best friend, Jordan. And is Jordan often on the show? Yes, all okay. the time. All the time and has done collaborations with Kylie's brand. Yeah. So she has done a whole lipstick and eyeshadow palette collaboration, which, by the way, has now been discounted by 50%. Smart. Also not surprising. Yeah. But for this story, I mean, there are so many celebrity stories that go around where you read the headline and you think this cannot be true. There's no way. It's too salacious. It's too out there. We read this story together when we were, I think it was Wednesday. Yeah. We were sitting on my couch and we both immediately thought, yep, this story has legs. 
And do you want to run people why that was? It was a few things because, but the main one for me was it didn't actually take that long for E to come out and actually report it themselves. So mm. E obviously distribute Keeping Up with the Kardashians and their reporting on the Kardashians has to be therefore a little bit more careful than everyone else's or a little bit more accurate than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. So it did come out initially with a, who was the first report? I think it was Hollywood Unlocked. And so the journalist came out and even videoed himself talking about the story, right? Yeah, he had a writer there. He's the CEO of Hollywood Unlocked. I think his name is Jay, maybe? But had a, he had a writer there who was at the party and saw Tristan and Jordan together, which blows my fucking tiny mind. How can you – like, why would you be that stupid? I know that Tristan said no phones are allowed, but how can you be so stupid to cheat on your very, very famous partner – in a room of celebrity journalists. So this takes me to my fundamental point of this segment, which is I am relatively sceptical and I think it's rel- it's important for all of us and healthy for all of us to be relatively sceptical about a story that feels so convenient. Oh, don't give me a... Cons- no, this isn't it's a not conspiracy a, theory conspiracy time. conspiracy theories left, right and centre. No, no, it absolutely is a conspiracy theory time. Firstly, I don't want to get to that though first because I do think it's important as to knowing... And that's what you wrote the newsletter about this week, as to, to knowing what story to take seriously and what story not to take seriously. So often there are anonymous sources reported in a lot of celebrity tabloid news. There is... a, a failure or sort of a reluctance for a lot of celebrities to go on the record which is totally fair enough in this case because E jumped on the bandwagon so soon because the journalist and the CEO of the the company who broke the story were so willing to put their faces to it Mm. it sort of adds another legitimate layer to the story yeah as I wrote in the newsletter column I think as soon as a journalist wants to put their byline on something and they want to put their name to it it probably has legs because so many times when you're a junior junior journo you'll be at a media company and the editor will ask you to write a story which is probably completely bullshit and you'll write it but you won't put your name on it so you'll put the team that's often something that well it's more so that you're going to be targeted as well so somebody in this it's it's a pretty small industry there you know and the kardashians have a lot of a lot of holding power like they can do a lot to a journalist who is writing a false story to their byline Mm. i think it's really also curious to watch how cyclical Um, the Kardashians are when these kinds of stories unfold. I mean, it's usually Kim that responds first, almost always. Like, she's the matriarch of the family, even though she's not. And she was sort of the first person to respond on Twitter. So I'm pretty sure Khloe Kardashian went out publicly very soon after these rumours broke. Mm. Very strangely, somebody said going out, like, there must be an issue with her going out in public so soon after these rumours broke, which is just strange. It was casting doubt. It was saying if you were really this heartbroken and your partner had really cheated, would you be going out in public to a public event? She was on a runway or a red carpet (laughs) runway. Would you go out and show your face that soon after? Wouldn't you be so heartbroken that you'd be inside? So it was that conspiracy theory. And so Kim said, would you prefer she lose the money too? A single mum has to work too, boo. (laughs) <laughs> cool quote. this was a professional commitment plan far in advance and you better believe she is not waiting on anyone to pay her bills i'm not sure she has that many bills that no. need to be paid or provide for her daughter period i had to google that word period well it's period with a t yeah i think that's just a typo it's not oh go on urban dictionary apparently that's a more definitive version of the word period if you put the, the t on the end it's some like weird pop culture thing that we've missed. Oh my god! I fully googled it. I thought that was just a typo because she was in. So did I. And I was Kim like, Kardashian was in a rage. <laughs> I thought it was something <laughs> that I've missed. It's not. If you go deep into Urban Dictionary, that's what you'll find. Interesting. Okay. Well, we know that it's true. I think the most shocking thing is that it's someone involved in the family, very deeply involved in the family. Like yeah. Jordan lives with Kylie Jenner. It's not as if they're just friends distantly. They are almost on a sister level. They do Apparently collaborations. They did a commitment ceremony together. Yeah, they got married. I hate that. I, why do I know this? They I got, also know that. <laughs> they got married on the last episode of Life of Kylie. I hate myself. Okay. What I want to flag right now as we get into the depths of this, because while I believe this story to be true in a sense that that's the story that the Kardashians want to peddle, like this is the story they want. So that's why I believe it to be true. And I'm not saying it's, think it's a massive conspiracy theory, but I do think it's interesting that there's, that like I said, a certain degree of convenience to this tale. We are in sort of that six week period before the Kardashian season starts again. <gasps> The same thing, no, No. Michelle, it's that same famous, it's that very famous Julia Gillard quote which says it it may explain some things, it doesn't explain everything. But the fact these stories are carefully coming out at exactly the time, I'm going to go back three times here, right? The last time that they were in a lull before the season launched was when first 
third trimester Tristan came out. The time before that was <laughs> when all Tristan. three women got pregnant at the same time and that was carefully fed to the tabloids in the Sarah, same week. There's something, no, there's no. something going on the, with this family every week. You could just pull exactly. any week out. But that's not normal. And <sighs> they, the Kardashians would be incredibly They're stale. They're normal. They've got unusual Why vibes. Why aren't they... Are, they've got unusual lives because they've built an empire around it. No, That's the you're brand. Taking this t- I'm sorry. I'm not. Who's the Kardashian fit? Listen to this, right? I think that it's important that it's too simplistic to say that these stories are completely made up. It's too simplistic to say that they're not. It sits somewhere in the middle. I think it would be very easy for a family like this to grow stale. Why haven't they grown stale? Because they Why do put, they? they do live their lives on a public stage. Don't get me wrong, but I think you... So you think every single story that's ever existed in the public eye about the Kardashians in the last 10 years is real? No, of course not. So which ones are you going to pick? Because oh it's too convenient. First of all, you are taking this too far. You're acting no, as I'm if not, every celebrity meticulously plans out every agree. single story in the public eye. That is not true. They did not leak this story. We already have journalists coming out saying they were the ones to put this exactly. on the public sphere. Not like Khloe Kardashian leaked this to E. If they leaked this, they would have gone to their own media publication, E. E was one of the last ones on it. No, so if you're going to leak it, you're not going to go to E, firstly. <sighs> Secondly, I'm not saying that Jordan Woods and Tristan Thompson weren't doing this. I'm saying there's something very curious about the nature of how these stories are planted six weeks out from when the story launches. I know just as much as you do that most celebrity stories aren't planted, but when it comes to the Kardashians, we cannot be stupid enough to assume that none of this has some sort of um, element of their own doing. I just don't think we can. You cannot look back at all of those things (laughs) and yell coincidence or drama. You can't. No family exists like this. I do want to briefly talk about how much this was memefied over the week. I don't think I've ever seen something become so ubiquitous across not only mainstream media but then social media because this was turned into a meme and just – it infiltrated every corner of my social media feed. I think the people made this a story rather than the media making this a story, Mm. right? I think the media were very much leveraging off how much people were getting involved in this on social media and jumping on the back of the fact that that tweets were everywhere. And it was funny. like Yeah, it was funny. It's not a, by definition, very funny story, but it does bring out a good sense of humour in a lot of people. I think as well that Jordan Woods is famous on social media. She's got the 8 million followers on there. If you went to a mainstream media audience, they probably have no idea who she is like you didn't. But on Instagram and on Facebook where Jordan's brand thrives, that's where all the memes were. And it just it's on our social media we put it on our instagram page because we couldn't help but get caught up in all of it it's true and i remember actually this morning googling to see how much was sort of in the mainstream media because i hadn't even looked like i hadn't read an article about it and i think that's a really interesting way to consume media now in that we know all the facts we know the story we know the rumors and i hadn't i hadn't clicked on a link Mm. which says a lot about where we are right now i agree I think Michelle is still going to hit me because you're not quite over this conversation. But I just think it's interesting. I mean, we are recording this before where this is going to go live and this story sort of will probably evolve by the time um, this episode is in people's ears. Mm. But I think the facts still remain the same and I think it's interesting for us to watch how cyclical the Kardashians are in responding to this because it was Kim, then it was Chloe on her Instagram stories, then came Kylie's discount. Like it doesn't feel not meticulously planned. I'm a little bit angry, but that's fine. I think you're just taking it too far, but we'll discuss it off air. (laughs) Like, I feel like every year has a new energy, and I feel like this year is really about, like, the year of just realizing stuff, and everyone around me, we're all just, like, realizing things. 2016, looking good. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the new cycle. Michelle, what have you got for me this week? I have some colour in this week's one. <laughs> As I opposed to what? Well, they're not very surface level. I think I've gone a bit deep with some of them. Let's do it. It might get a bit ranty. Apologies. And <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been or I haven't been already. <laughs> Number one, married at first sight's inner basic break silence amid reports she's become a recluse. That was from news.com.au. So it's kind of hard, even as someone who's not watching Married at First Sight at the moment, to escape the story of Innes. Mm. Like, I haven't been watching, but I know who she is. I know that she has been sort of the, the villain character of this series. And it's, it's also not hard to see that, that this story and this sort of experience might have broken her. Is that the sense you're getting? Yeah. Well, she is the number one villain in Australian reality television across any show, across any year, from what I can remember. Is she more villainous than anyone else or is it because this is the freshest in our minds? No, I think the level of what 
Innes represents and what she says is the most villainous. Like okay. I, I personally can't remember yeah. a villain. Potentially there's a couple on My Kitchen Rules a yeah. few years ago that may have been. But it's really tricky when it comes to Innes because she's on our television screen saying really damaging, hurtful, disgusting things. She has played into the villain character like nobody else ever has. But if we are then vilifying her on social media and we are pushing her into a place where she can't even go out in public anymore. Apparently, according to friends and family, she hasn't left the house. She has lost 12 kilograms, reports have said, and there have been very troubling paparazzo images that have come out in the last week. Where is the line? Where do you stop and think, okay, yes, this woman has behaved really badly on a national television program, but I can't help but feel like one day we are going to be grieving someone who has been really badly negatively affected by being on a television show and been forced to withdraw from society or take it even a step further. I agree with you completely but I just feel like this is not a new conversation like this has to be the 15th or 16th time we've actually probably touched on this on the podcast Mm. but about different villains too. I mean the same thing happens every single time. There is someone that is probably um, not as likeable as they could be on, on <laughs> I feel like this is me it's being very <laughs> diplomatic <laughs> softly um, on television then we kind of get super outraged about that um, because sometimes it's really important I mean the conversation that we had last week we felt very passionate about needing to talk about that and that's important but the pendulum swings way too far and then it's sort of got to recalibrate but we probably re- recalibrate only because we see how broken this villain might be and it's just it's just so um, predictable and like clockwork and I don't actually know how we kind of get through or change our behaviour when the same thing happens every time. It's like this big kind of exercise in group think. Well, it's a big exercise in cognitive dissonance. Yeah, like exactly. you said last week in that at the same time that I feel really sorry for Innes Basic, I also feel like she's an adult and should have known better to go on a national television program and put herself... this is what we always say. And then we say, well, how much responsibility lies with Channel 9 and the production company carving her in a way that they know this is exactly what's going to happen. Like, I actually feel like we've had this conversation before and now I'm out of answers. Yeah, I do feel like I might be boycotting this show going forward it's hard because it is so entertaining but then when you see the photos of Innes and how much weight she's lost and clearly how affected she's been by all of this coverage it's difficult to see it as entertainment anymore well I imagine it's probably going to be a pretty hard pill to swallow watching the rest of this series knowing all of this in the back of our minds agree story number two today shows Deborah Knight goes makeup free while grocery shopping that's from the Daily Mail and the, I literally want to put this in because I think it's funny that the Daily Mail considers a woman not wearing makeup in public to be a topic of conversation. Did you click on it? No, I looked at the photo and they weren't very flattering, which is the most annoying thing because I just don't ever see them covering men going without makeup while grocery shopping. And that's what men do all the time. It's just, bull- it's just, I fucking hate the Daily Mail. Like, why is this still a thing? We're never going to be sponsored by the Daily Mail. Ever. Well, the Daily You've Mail ruined it. <laughs> We could have won them back. I'm kidding. It is a funny story. It must be bizarre for someone like Deborah Knight to be a career journal and now considered someone worthy of, of getting papped at the supermarket on the Daily Mail. Like, that must be strange. Yeah, because people like you and me don't go into journalism degrees and we don't go into our first journalism jobs thinking that we're ever going to be papped without makeup doing the grocery shopping. Which I think is kind of a misconception about TV journals. Yeah. Do you think – would you ever go into TV journalism? No. For that reason, because you don't want to become like a celebrity cross journal, or um, what is yeah, the reason? I, there is, I mean, no reason. I just don't think it would be for me. Yeah, I feel like we went into this because we wanted to write. Yeah, very true. It just worked out well for us now that we're in front of microphones, <laughs> doing no right. Yeah. <laughs> Story number three: Kim Kardashian files ten million dollar lawsuit against fast fashion site she accuses of ripping off her clothes. That's from E News, and the fast fashion site was misguided. This is a strange story around Kim Kardashian fast fashion this week. I hate how much we've spoken about the Kardashians already, but that's fine. I mean, it's all my own doings. I don't want to say <laughs> this, but it's also funny that another story has come and overshadowed a more unlikable <sighs> one about Kim Kardashian, Continue. but that's all I'm going to say. Um, so Kim Kardashian has been posting in sort of vintage designer clothing recently. And the first time I think we addressed this on the podcast a week or two ago, she had a caption that said, I wonder how long it's going to take fast fashion labels to rip this off. Yes. 
they there was sort of three hours and then it had already been up on the website. This has happened again, but with a twist, right? Yeah. So this happened. It might have been with Pretty Little Thing. They all. I thought it was Fashion Nova. Fashion Nova. They all seem like the exact same brand to me because they all put the same shitty fabric and clothes yeah. out into the world. It's weird because Diet Prada, for those not aware of Diet Prada, it is this Instagram account that is kind of like the investigative journalism of Instagram, I would say. Is that <laughs> right? Um, maybe like the fashion investigative. Maybe the fashion just like holding everyone in the fashion industry to account. True. So they think Kim Kardashian is in on this and leaking styles to fast fashion websites and collaborating with them and taking a cut of the eventual knockoff of the dresses she's wearing. Which is, is that correct? N- yes, which is not outside the realm of possibility because a model whose name has escaped me was <laughs> posting – I'm sorry, I'm not even going to pretend I know um, – was posting an Instagram video talking about kind of clothing that she was going to wear from Fashion Nova. And some absolute sleuth noticed in the corner that the dress that Kim was wearing that hadn't even worn yet was already ready to be published on the site that said Kim's dress. Yeah. Which means is Kim Kardashian actually leaking these outfits and asking them to rip them off? But then how is she having a $10 million lawsuit? Like, is that to throw us all off the scent? Yeah, God knows. $10 million is peanuts for Kim Kardashian. That is such a bizarre story. And speaking of bizarre stories, this next one is even worse. I don't know even what to think of this at all. Story number four, Empire actor Juzzy Smollett has been charged with filing a false report after growing doubt over hate crime claims. That's from the ABC. So... Smollett was allegedly attacked in a homophobic, racist attack a week or so ago and it made headlines. There were a lot of high-profile people tweeting about it and and tweeting their condolences and their love. He went on the Today Show in the US to speak about this homophobia and racism and apparently the two men who attacked him, I think it was balaclavas or ski masks on, then yelled out, this is MAGA country. Yeah, MAGA. This is another Make word. America great again. No, I know, but I've, this is another one of those words I've actually never pronounced out loud. So in my mind, I always <laughs> pronounce it as Marga country. That's because you're very posh and you say everything with that kind of intonation pattern. That is absolutely bullshit. And you know, anyway, they yelled out, this is Maga country. <laughs> Didn't catch my eye roll. The video will. We're getting filmed. They can catch all my eye rolls. And which is, like we said, this is Make America Great Again country, which is sort of a Trumpianism of, you know, the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. What's come out recently is the two men that were supposedly questioned over the attack were released without charge and now Smollett has now been charged himself with lodging a false report. Yeah, so the police allege that Smollett paid two men to fake an attack against him and the entire thing is fraudulent and fake and has no basis in reality. No, and we don't actually know why or what's happened. The story is definitely still unfolding. What I find most interesting is that he's still on the set of Empire. So he's still working. Um, I just wonder how long it will be before maybe he might have to step away if this report is true. This story is like bamboozling. Like my brain has been completely boggled by yeah. why. Well, it makes no sense. And I think that is what everybody is waiting for to reach a point where it does make sense and we can understand why somebody would do this. Could this potentially be just to put his name on our radars? Or I mean, why would you? And the two guys who attacked him are of African-American background, I'm pretty sure. And so close why to him. And when we, we should say attacked in, you know, inverted commas. Allegedly attacked yeah. him. Why would you then try and frame those two people as... It just doesn't make any sense. It's not like they're white supremacists. They're black. I don't think it's meant to make sense yet. Yeah. That is probably the weirdest story I think we've come across since doing this podcast. Yeah, it's strange. We'll put a link in the show notes to explain that because I still don't have my head around the entire thing. I think maybe by next week we might have a, a more greater sense of what's going on. Yeah. My last story for today's Quick and Dirty. Lady Gaga splits from fiancé Christian Carino from The Hollywood Reporter. But if you are listening to Shameless last week, we might just say that we reported that first. <laughs> Mic drop out. I mean, we definitely weren't the only ones. I'm pretty sure the whole world was reporting that. Yeah. Um, to the point where they had no choice but to come out and release the news. Yeah. Not surprised. Do we have to add anything? I don't think there's even anything to add. Do you think her and Bradley Cooper are together? No. Do you think if there's any But I'm going to get to this later, but no. How's my clickbait? Tiny kernel no. of truth. Nah. I'm not even being deliberately cantankerous. I just don't think it's a thing. Cantankerous. Nice one. Thanks. I think that's the first time we've had that show on the, that word on this <laughs> that show. show on the, <laughs> that show on the show? Yeah. Is that all you've got? That's all I've got. Thanks.
On Tuesday, the fashion industry lost a giant. Karl Lagerfeld, the creative director of both Chanel and Fendi, died at the age of 85. He was a legend, a talent and a character, and one that was mourned across channels and across social media. But Karl Lagerfeld wasn't a straightforward man, never far from controversy, with the New York Times in 2015 calling him both maddening and brilliant. Mish, how do you feel about how we're now talking about legacies given Lagerfeld's is very complex? I am very worried that you and I are going to get very heated I don't think in this we are. segment. Okay, good. All right. Well, I think the best place to start is that I feel conflicted as I do with most things. However, I do not agree with Jamila Jamil and we're going to get to that. But I think the place to start here might be to actually give context as to what he said in the past, yeah. which makes people so upset. So this is Karl Lagerfeld's rap sheet. He has been accused of Islamophobia. So in 1994 at a couture show, he used a verse from the Quran, which was deemed offensive by Muslim communities. He came out and apologised, as he did with most things. He has been accused of animal abuse. He has been a vocal proponent of using uh, animal fur and leather in fashion. Yeah. He's also... He hasn't even tried to hide it. No, well, he was the head of using fur and leather. He loves it. At Fendi. That was his job. He was the creative director of that. And he made a thing. But he's not a vegan, so I'm not sure if we can... uh, I don't know. I don't know. Peter called him a designer dinosaur. Keep going with the facts and then you can give me your opinions. (laughs) He's been accused of fat phobia. He called Adele, as in Adele the singer, a little too fat. He has also been accused of providing commentary on women's appearances that wasn't necessarily asked for. He, (laughs) at the royal wedding of Kate Middleton and Mm. what prince is she married to? Charles? No. Oh, God. kidding. (laughs) William. Don't you do a celebrity podcast? Isn't this your job? Yeah, true. I'm not into royals. He spoke about Pippa Middleton's face. He said, I don't like the sister's face. She should only show her back. He has also been accused of being misogynistic and anti the Me Too movement. He said, if you don't want your pants pulled about, don't become a model. Not great. (laughs) It's not... Fair. Kidding. It's not the best. Not the best. He's not the greatest. Like, it... I have this attitude towards Karl Lagerfeld and I kind of always have before he died is that he's sort of like some crusty old dinosaur who had this massive impact on the fashion industry and I don't think that can be understated. But I I don't care for his opinions and I don't find them all that relevant. Yeah, so for those who missed it, he did die after a short battle with pancreatic cancer yes. this week. He was 85, he was openly gay, he was the creative director of Chanel and the creative director at Fendi as well. I remember the other day when this news broke and I was sort of scrolling through my Instagram feed and my Twitter feed and it was sort of pervasive all of the tributes to Karl Lagerfeld and truly the first thing I thought or the the first thing I felt was sort of mild frustration that there was these over-the-top sort of very um, very sentimental and rightly so tributes that lacked any acknowledgement that he wasn't a straightforward character. Yeah there was a lot of saccharine tributes that failed to look at all of the complexity that comes with Karl Lagerfeld and his brand. And it made me think that the minute somebody dies, it's sort of we lose all space for us to consider their legacy and the person that they were. And we, the, the only option we have is to revere them. But I came around to that pretty quickly, I think. I sort of shifted my mind because I don't think when somebody dies or when we are in the immediate stages of grief that we can expect nuance or logic or reason. No, I agree. I think it also reminded me of the George Bush senior incident when he died in November 2018 lots of publications I think including the Washington Post came out and labeled him as a hero as a war hero and failed to acknowledge that he was pretty detrimental to the global fight against AIDS he didn't really do anything for AIDS when he was president and that lost a lot of lives I think for me one of the most sort of the exchange I liked the most immediately after hearing that he had died was from Stella Bugby, who is the editor-in-chief of The Cut. She posted a tribute to um, Lagerfeld on Instagram and she said, if I'm going to quote, it's hard to comprehend the amount this man did for fashion. He was the most fun to write about, to think about. End of an era. Someone in the first comment said, I agree, but why does everybody seem to forget about the problematic and offensive things he said about women throughout the years? She replied, he was absolutely offensive all the time, but it's still the end of something, a fascinating character. And I loved that wrapping of conversation because it was kind of my thought process in three comments. Mm. The other thing I think we should acknowledge, as you already touched on, is the Jamila Jamil quote. Yes, I have that in front of me. Jamila Jamil came out on Twitter when everyone was 
morning, Kyle Lagerfeld, this would have been within 24 hours yeah, of him dying. Fast. Very, very fast. And Jamila Jamil came out and said, even if it is a little soon, a ruthless, fat-phobic misogynist shouldn't be posted all over the internet as a saint gone too soon. Talented for sure, but not the best person. Now, this infuriated me. I won't lie. I love Jamila Jamil. I think she does amazing things. However, when she says it is a little too soon, I completely agree. But the other side of this is I'm not sure how much we should expect from a man who's in his 70s and 80s. And that's when all of these quotes were given, basically, apart from the 1994 show where he used the a verse from the Quran. I'm not sure if it's really worthwhile us calling out all of these offensive things that are said by really elderly people who have completely different contexts and lives to our own. And I say that because my grandmother died in the break of us recording this podcast. She died late last year. And I loved her. She's an amazing person. I think my nana is one of my favourite people in the entire world. But she said plenty of offensive things. In her final years, she said so many things that if that was taken as a bite-sized snippet and put all over the media, would cast her in a really bad light. And sometimes she would say things and I'd sit on my hands and I'd clench my teeth and think, Nana, why did you say that? That is so offensive to me. But that doesn't make her a bad person. It makes her a person who grew up in a completely different world to what I did. And I hate that we are holding really elderly people to this standard of progression that people you and I need to have today. I think there's a couple of layers to this. Firstly, I think the difference between someone like Karl Lagerfeld and your grandmother is that he is in the public sphere. He was earning... He was earning millions of dollars as the head of a fashion house. He knew what he was saying was going to be taken out of context. You cannot say that Adele is a little bit fat and say, oops, that quote was taken out of context. I do agree with you, though, that when we call people out who might be from a different time to us, who might have grown up in a different era, it's, I think it's still important to call them out. I still think it's very important that we acknowledge that that's offensive. I do not think they get a free pass, but I do think there needs to be an added element or an added layer of compassion and empathy in, our, in sort of our approach to that call out right? So I agree with you to a point that there is an element of age to this. But I also think when it comes to Jamila Jamil, when she said it might be too soon, no, it was too soon. It absolutely was too soon. I think that there should be always a certain amount of time frame where we can grieve without context. Mm. Like that context can always come later, but let people have their outpouring of grief and outpouring a sort of shock that somebody has gone before we go and analyse that legacy. And I think, yeah, maybe he was fat phobic, but does that mean we shouldn't grieve him? He contributed massive things to a global empire. He was someone that people loved and admired and looked up to and respected. Does that mean, yeah, he was fat phobic and he was misogynistic and I'm the first person to call out when a man is misogynistic and gross towards women. And of course, at different times in his life, he was that. But I really don't like when we try to paint people in such black and white terms. People are coloured. Oh, he's are, not all good or bad. No, I don't think that we can say that Karl Lagerfeld was a monster because he gave a few really cringeworthy quotes. I don't think anybody said that. Or the way Jamila Jamil she was said speaking, just not the best man. But I don't think many people die and can say they were the best person because there's too many people in the world for somebody to win that title. It's actually made me think a lot about legacies. And I think particularly a legacy that's left that is sort of unattractive and complex and messy. And I think the difference for me that I've come to in the last sort of few days is what happens when somebody dies that does have an unattractive or blips on their legacy are unattractive, that we can kind of acknowledge them and not criticise them. Because I don't think we can actually criticise somebody in their death because there's no right of reply. And I think that might sound sort of... Um, close-minded or short-sighted just out of context but I think if we're going to talk about a legacy it has to be acknowledged and then spoken about how we can move forward yeah when we talk about Carl Lagerfeld being fat phobic I do think that does matter because he had a massive impact on the the fashion industry and had a massive impact on the models that we saw on the runway and they were stick thin like that is he was at the helm of that and I don't think we can say those two things weren't correlated because they were but I think in moving forward we can't criticize Carl Lagerfeld's comments I think we look at working how we change the structure that he created or the structure that he built. Absolutely. And he was fat phobic. He released a diet book in the mid 2000s about how he lost, it was something ludicrous, like 40 kilos in 13 months or something like that. And it was called the Karl Lagerfeld diet. That wasn't necessarily gendered. He even said himself that he prefers the really skinny young boy look on himself. Like that heroin chic, both male or female, it's not gendered. Yeah, exactly. I get it. 
I just think so many people online are black and white about this and this is not a black and white thing. I think it's really helpful for us to all be cognizant of different lived experiences and it's a little bit arrogant of young people to look at their grandparents and even parents and think, oh, we're right, you're wrong. Like, how dare you oh, believe every generation you believe? thinks that. Yeah, I know. It's I not just, right. I agree with you. It's arrogant. Yeah, I don't know. It's like, just not uncommon. This man, yes, he did some really stupid things. And I feel really bad for anyone who had their body image affected by the models that were walking the runways in the mid-2000s to probably even three or four years ago up until then. I mean, I don't even think it's just models. I mean, that's a, he, that's a culture that he created that yeah. made everybody feel shit about their bodies. Yeah. I just... I No, no, no. I 1,000% agree with you. I just... I mean, you agree that... It, it's still important to call this shit out, right? Yeah, it is. But I don't... I think when Jamila Jamel came out and said, why aren't we talking about this? I think people were. She they was were going to. They were always going to. It was yeah. always going to take a couple of days. There were a great couple of pieces that sort of towed the line really beautifully on this. First was by Bianca O'Neill in Rendezvous. And she said, his passing isn't an opportunity to vilify Lagerfeld's legacy, but instead to ensure that we don't erase his controversial history. For good or bad, it was what made him who he was. Now we need to move forward. Now we need to learn from his mistakes. The second piece was by Hillary George Parkin for CNN and she said and she was a little more sort of harsh on the industry and sort of um, really pushing the industry now to make change and she said if the industry is unwilling to condemn or even acknowledge the less palatable elements of Karl Lagerfeld's personality because of the designer's creative genius it risks allowing the same traits to flourish again which I do agree with. I think now the kind of designers and the creative geniuses that we want to grow and mould need to know that they can't just do this in order to succeed. It does kind of intrigue me. What are your expectations on people who are in their 80s and prominent figures? I know that he was the head of a company, but he was 85. What's your expectation around someone like that? I mean, this is a pretty loaded question and I should be careful to be quite articulate in what I'm going to (laughs) say. But I think for a lot of uh, an older generation who grew up with war and sort of race becomes a a far more loaded conversation for them than it is for us because we live in a much more peaceful time. I don't think there's an excuse, not that there is an excuse for racism, but I think it makes more sense in that kind of generation than it does in ours. Yeah. I think when it comes to fatphobic comments and stuff like that, I I don't think that's a generational thing. I think that's just shit. Yeah, I do think it's also worth thinking about the fact that Karl Lagerfeld might have well had a really damaged relationship with his own body. He He spoke about dieting. He said, um, where's the quote? He said, it should be some sort of punishment, the food that you put into your body. To say that dieting should be some sort of punishment indicates that he was probably struggling through this. And yes, it doesn't make sense that he would then push that on the entire world. But I think the more empathetic we are in these situations, the more colour it brings to the entire story. Well, I think pr- conversations are, by definition, more productive when they are empathetic. I I think for me, the point that I've come to is that we can't criticise, we just need to acknowledge what's there and not erase it. Yeah. And we can't look back with rose-coloured glasses, but we can look back and say, okay, what can change and what can we do differently in order to grow a new generation of designers who don't feel like they can be that wacky creative genius who offends um, as a byproduct of their success. I totally agree. I think it is the erasure of his history and what he's done which would cause the most damage. It's not in vilifying him now that he has died it's no about simply speaking openly about what he represented and what he said and he even played he said himself he played into that really controversial figure as part of his brand so I just think Jamila Jamil was out of line this week and I think that's the first time I've ever felt like that with anything that she's put out into the public arena If you're listening to this episode on the day it drops, Monday the 25th of February, you'll probably be scrolling through social media feeds that are awash with Oscars commentary. Yep, it's officially Hollywood's night of nights, but everyone is speaking about people behind the scenes. Zara, why are the people behind the scenes so important today? It's funny, I haven't heard this story be so pervasive as it is this year. And Mm. I was when I was doing my research before I actually jump into it, I realised it's been around every year. Maybe it's just piqued our interest this year. But it goes to um, what's actually going behind the scenes in the campaigns behind Oscars movies and the fact that the richer a film is the more likely they are to win to win an Oscar yeah so I had no idea about this I've taken an interest in the Oscars for 
basically since I've been in the media, which is four years now, and I had no idea that the campaigning to get a film to win Best Picture is so intense and so lucrative. And so ludicrous. Yeah. So this was a story reported by the New York Times this week in which they looked at Lisa Tabak, who is dubbed as the Oscar campaign veteran, whose resume includes Best Picture winners like The King's Speech, The Artist and Spotlight. So this woman is renowned for taking a film, campaigning for it like it's a presidential campaign and making it win. I know it sounds so naive, but I actually had no idea that the awards themselves were so uh, manipulated as well. I had no idea. So for example, Roma is the sort of favourite to win Best Picture. Have you seen it? No, but it's on Netflix and apparently it's an international film. Like so it's got <laughs> subtitles. Not our vibe? Nah, I can't watch <laughs> subtitles. I'm on my phone too much. I don't mind subtitles. I'm just, it's the black and white. <laughs> I'm just not cultured <laughs> enough. Anyway, so Netflix is sort of rumoured to have spent or will spend over the course of this campaign $25 million US on a campaign to get Roma to win the Oscar, Best yeah. Picture Oscar, which is an outrageous amount of money. It's more money than they spent making the film. It I cost $15 million to make, 25 to $30 million to promote it and get it to win the Oscar. I think this is especially more interesting because Netflix hasn't made any money off this film from no. the box office. So they are pulling this out of their pockets. I do think that because Netflix are in such long-term debt, so the rumour is, or I think Netflix have even come out with these figures, that they are have about eight to nine billion dollars of long-term debt. So the fact that they're pulling this out of their pockets right now says a lot about how they feel the need to spend money to make money. I mean, if Roma wins this Oscar, they can therefore probably raise a fuckload more funding to get more content made. But it's sort of, this is no small game here. No, this could shake up the film industry forever. I know that sounds very hyperbolic, but there's never been an online streaming giant that has won an accolade like this. And Roma has won other awards. Don't ask me what they are because I don't know them. But Lisa Tabak ran basically an entire festival around Roma. She invited all of the important people who decide, who do the voting at the Oscars to decide who wins. And she provided breakfast, provided lunch. She had the directors there, the actors there. It was an entire display purely to get their votes. Bradley Cooper, for A Star Is Born, has been taking private jets between New York, Los Angeles and London to personally meet with voters. There's 6,000 voters behind the Academy Awards and the actors themselves are part of pushing this narrative forward. It's a sales painting. I, I, I know. We, I wonder if we sound like idiots. Like, I wonder if people are listening to this saying everybody knew that. Well, they're running off the record cocktail parties with journos to get journos to write positive reviews yeah. about their films. I had absolutely no idea this all went on. No, no, me either. And there was a great piece on ABC, which is a couple of... I think it's from last year, and it was an interview with Academy voter and publicist Stu Zackham. And his quotes were super enlightening. So he was saying that when it comes to what kind of uh, film he's going to vote for, that the personal campaign is so much more important to me than the ads or any media interview talent might give. The biggest part of campaigning are these meals. Moonlight, which is the film that won <laughs> so two years stupid. ago, had five, six, seven different events in New York alone where we, which he means the Academy members, had a chance to interact with the director and the talent. What it's really about, and I wish they did this in politics, of course, free meals left, right and centre, <laughs> is that you actually get to sit around a table with La La Land director Damien Chazelle and say, tell me about La La Land. It puts the membership directly in front of the people who want to get the awards. I just, it's so stupid. Like the amount of money in this industry is ludicrous, number one. That you would spend $30 million to try and win a bloody Oscar. I know. I get, like, I, I get it. I just think it's rather unusual and ludicrous and stupid that this is going on and that even so much emphasis is still put on this award when basically you can just buy it. Okay, well, that's the thing that's got me the most because I know we live in a, like a very capitalist world and the more money you are, the more money you have, the, the better off you are. But it's, it is that you can buy this award. And I thought that this maybe was going to be a bit of a more even playing field, but that just sort of proves my stupidity. Um, the other thing I found interesting from this interview with Zachem from, from the ABC piece is that... He said a lot of the members, the 6,000 of them, often all have day jobs, So, which means that the buzz ex- is extremely important to them. It needs to grab them because they have as much time as you or I do to go and watch these films. Yeah, so they even send the voters. They find their uh, home addresses and they will send them different DVDs in order of what they want to watch. Netflix was sending around 17 DVDs per person. Who has that much time? To 6,000 people. Do yeah. the, I can't do the maths, you do the maths. But we don't know how much the DVDs cost. That's the world's worst equation. Um, 
The other couple of things that I found really interesting in researching this is it's not just the money that goes on behind the campaign, but it's this idea about whisper whisper campaigns too, Mm. right? So apparently Harvey Weinstein was at the front of not just campaigning for Oscars because he kind of created this entire thing, but also at the centre of a whisper campaign, which is obviously spreading pretty malicious rumours about your competitors in order to discredit them. A couple of really famous ones that will sort of, you'll remember, is Casey Affleck when he (gasps) was being up for Best Actor. And the sexual... So he was up for Best best Actor in the Oscars for Manchester by the Sea and he had already won the Golden Globe. So he was the favourite to win... As that campaign went on, uh, sexual harassment allegations from six years earlier suddenly resurfaced and suddenly we were all talking about Casey Affleck. The other one that you might remember was last year there was a whisper campaign that three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri was racist. There was a lot of commentary about that. That was apparently a massive whisper campaign that started inside the industry in order to discredit that film as a whole too. Oh, my God. Which I find pretty interesting and I think for us, given what we spoke about last week, it puts the relationship between Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga into this different perspective and different spotlight because I don't want to say I told you so but did I not tell you so? Well, we were speaking about the machinations of this relationship and how I guess explicit they've both been with how much they supposedly love each other and, and how much they've been grabbing headlines. And that's not just free publicity. Yeah, now that you've said that, it has... Your mind's ticking. It has piqued my interest Absolutely. more than it did last week. Well, maybe it was as calculated and meticulously planned as what we were th- talking about last week, that yeah. they did sit down and think this is how we're going to win it. Completely. Or might have it, they might have accidentally generated one news story at the start when they held hands on the red... No, they held hands on the red carpet. They, it was, this was calculated from the start. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Do you have a preference on who wins? Do you even know who's up for it? I haven't watched any of the movies. To be honest, I haven't really watched any of them and I haven't even watched Roma. But I would like Roma to win for the pure reason that it's on a streaming service. They didn't get any money from the box office and I just think it would be a very interesting thing for the industry if it happened. Agree. I did find one interesting fact when I was researching this story. What? I found out that if you attend the Oscars as a nominee of a major category you get gifted a gift bag worth $100,000. These are the last people in the world that need a gift bag worth I know. Grand. Do you want to know what last year's included? A car? It was like It was literally a list of about 200 things. I couldn't include it all. What was the most expensive? A 12-night trip to Tanzania. Random. Also, a year's supply of luxury skincare products. Yes, please. I'd take yeah, that. I, they don't need them. A levitating Bluetooth speaker. Eh, I'd take that. Slim Max. You'll love this. Yeah. Slim Max Detox Tea. Literally gave detox tea to every person. <laughs> so it's the Oscars' fault that the Kardashians are pushing this now. Anti-aging somehow. supplements. I think they're sending a message. Absolutely sending a message. And luxury false eyelashes. Like mink hair, $300 per lash, apparently. It's just bizarre to me because these these are people that would have their favourites and not have to pay for anything. So but that's, how that, that's how it works. The more famous you get, the more free shit you get. We need to get more famous. Yeah, I know. I do want to end by asking how relevant you think the Oscars are now. I found a very interesting stat on Bloomberg and they sort of did a a bit of an analysis um, in sort of the lead up to this year's Oscars talking about whether they are that relevant anymore and what's going to happen. Because according to Bloomberg, viewership of the Oscars fell by 20% last year. And I actually think you will find this interesting and nobody else (laughs) will, but it's our podcast. That's great for the listeners. So we write the rules. Um, Sorry for the 30,000 people who are listening who don't give a fuck. (laughs) So listen, Viewership fell by 20%, but ad prices for the program have remained the same because it's a reflection of how hard it is now for marketers to reach a a large live audience because the media industry is so fragmented. There's no way to reach that amount of people anymore Mm. in one spot. So they're paying the same amount they always had, which is somewhere between 2 and $2.5 million US for a 30-second ad. I don't know why we're in the podcasting space and not in the Oscar space. Yeah, that's bad. Isn't it? Especially if the viewership is falling that much. Do they live stream it online? Do they live stream it on Facebook or YouTube? Can you live stream on YouTube? I'm sure you oh can. Oh, God, can you? you I don't know. Can. I'm pretty sure I watched it last year. On mm. Maybe it wasn't on free to wear, though. Then maybe I found a way to watch it. Will you be watching it this um, today? I am <laughs> freelance, so probably, because yeah. what do I do with my life? We'll no, probably I'm be kidding. watching it together. I imagine if we're doing work, we'll have it on in the background. There is no harm. I think we'll also put a best dress gallery in the Facebook group. Yes. Yes? I've just given us more work. Anyway, did you know in the past, <laughs> where I'm actually going to get back to this, is that Titanic won Oscars. I think that maybe... The Academy might be losing people the more art house sort of the awards go because Titanic's yeah. pretty mainstream. I, I mean, last year it was Shape of Water. Did you watch that film? Was that the one with the weird fish guy and they had sex? 
Yes, and that's going to prove just how uncultured we are when <laughs> it comes to Is that a good film. synopsis of that film 100%. or not? 100%. Interestingly, my mum very much liked that film and she's not into arty things. So Trish maybe it's not too arty. Likes fish sex. <laughs> sorry, Trish. She's sorry, Trish. so offended by this. She'll be blushing in the car as she drives oh, no. to work listening to this. Um, but I do wonder if they're going to keep going down that path or do, or if they will make it a little more mainstream if they are going to need viewership to climb. Well, I think if you need mass numbers, you do need to tilt back towards the mainstream. Surely, the more art think. house you go, the more isolating I think that'll be a few years in the making though because they also do need to become the nominations also need to become more diverse because still no female nominated for best director either yeah and all white like white bread sandwich at those (laughs) events sorry what a surprise (laughs) hey I reckon it's all we have time for I think it is guys this Thursday we do have an in conversation episode dropping with Jamila Rizvi and I've got to say it's one of my favorite that we've done you say that every time but this also was one of my (sighs) favorite it was just a really really good chat so that'll be dropping in your podcast feeds at 6 a.m on Thursday so keep an eye out for that one because I think it's a really important episode for anyone who's really motivated and wants to pursue their career a lot or for anyone who might be battling a chronic illness or illness of any kind. I just think it's a really there's good a chat. There's a lot different. There's a lot of different things in there. Yeah. So it is a really, really good chat. I feel feel like we're allowed to say that. Yeah. For anyone else, if you do have a dog and you listen to <laughs> Shameless, there is a wild thread going on in our Facebook group this week called Dogs of Shameless. And it's actually Doggos. Doggos uh-huh. of Shameless. Yeah. I've started it. I was the one behind it. Zara doesn't really like dogs, so... I was never going to tell anyone <laughs> that I don't like dogs because nobody likes you when you say you don't like dogs. I, I don't have an aversion to dogs. I'm just sort of like dog adjacent. If you ever want to see Zara squirm, put a small fluffy <laughs> animal ne- in her vicinity and, yeah, very I just, uncomfortable. I just don't really know what they do. What are they? Anyway, besides the point, keep posting your dogs. We actually should encourage people to keep posting their dogs because occasionally they're cute. I think we need to run Very like a dog. I reckon we need to have a dog of Shameless who's crowned as the ultimate like a little supreme mascot. dog. Like a mascot. Ma- okay, all right. If anyone owns a pet shop or anything to do What's with this? dog equipment that we could use as a prize to run a dog of Shameless competition. What do dogs play with? Well, like shoes, but like uh, <laughs> they're supposed to play with Okay, toys. but I think I should um, judge it because you have a very – I don't have a dog, so I'm not biased. I like small fluffy dogs. Zara hates so my dog. cats. You think my dog looks like a rat, which is offensive to Peanut. You just if said pe- that my mum likes fish sex, so I'm going to say, yeah, your dog's really <laughs> ugly. Um, this I will, is a very long outro. To I will judge the competition because I have no bias. Um so yeah, post send post the dogs and I'll just pick one. And if you have a prize that you would like to donate towards our Dog of Shameless competition, please reach out. Our email is shamelessthepodcast at gmail.com. This is shameless of you. Yeah, it is. Really living out our uh, podcast motto. But next week we will run a Dog of Shameless Facebook competition and we Where will Where did this you know, come from? I don't know. I just think it'll be a good idea and I want to have a mascot. Okay. Oh, we can get it printed. <gasps> we can get the dog printed on shirts as okay, shameless merch. Gone. It's gone too far. Yeah, I'll absolutely. leave it. Um, you guys can find us in the Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community. You can find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. I promise you that is all we've got. We will see you on Thursday for our In Conversation. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.